listening to Nostalgia Be Damned. Everybody, my name is Zach. I'm Brandon, aka DJ Bone Daddy. You're listening to Nostalgia Be Damned, the show where we take some of your favorite movies from either your childhood or just something you remember fondly, and we take off the rose-colored glasses, watch these movies, and let you know: Are they worthy of your nostalgia, or are they just straight-up pumpkin poo? <laughs> this week, we watched 1993's stop-motion animated musical fantasy. The Nightmare Before Christmas. Now, this is actually directed by Henry Selick. Can you think of another guy Not Tim in the Burton. Yeah, exactly, in the history of of cinema who's gotten the shaft as hard as this guy? This movie's often referred to as Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. If you look it up on Wikipedia, it says otherwise known as Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. It was not directed by Tim Burton, this poor man. I know, I know. So this guy, Henry Selleck, he also directed James and the Giant Peach, uh, Monkey Bone, starring Brendan Fraser. I'm not sure if you remember All that right, one. All right, stop. Move on. His real uh, one foray yeah, into live move action. Move on. <laughs> All right. And he also did uh, Coraline, which I'm actually uh, a big fan of. Probably one of my favorite stop motion animated movies. Yeah. Yeah, I like Coraline, too. Although I did, I think I've watched Coraline too many times. Uh, so it's a little overplayed for me. But I do like that movie a lot. This is probably our highest rated movie we've ever done. It's got an 8.0 on IMDb and a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. I think one of the reasons we decided to cover it was because. Uh, people are obsessed with this movie, but it's it's hard to tell how many times people have actually gone back and seen it. I think it's hard to contextualize the movie now that, I mean, since its release and what it really did for the genre of animation itself, it really pushed that forward, what you could do. It was actually a uh, winner of an honorary Oscar because of how much it pushed the genre forward, which is super rare. And I think it's hard to really look at the film objectively to determine whether or not as a story, as a narrative, it holds up. Because I think for the most part, we've been blinded by this, you know, the beauty of the movie. If you had asked me before I rewatched it, what my feelings were on The Nightmare Before Christmas, I would have told you that it's a goddamn Bonafide classic. It's a movie that defined the '90s, and I would say is probably one of the defining films of the pat of the 20th century. Like it is amazing. Have my thoughts changed? We'll get into that, man. But what were your thoughts on A Nightmare Before Christmas? Well, so just a you know, obviously this movie came out in 1993, so it came out a year after I was born. So there's no way I saw it in theaters or anything like that. Um, but it was a movie that was that like everybody had on VHS. My grandparents, I know, had it on VHS, and I think that's where I. First first saw it and I've never really sort of taken the whole thing in I think I've always just kind of been like oh yeah it's the nightmare before Christmas there's a couple of songs it's you know spooky clay animation and uh that was it that was I I mean like I I must have seen this movie like five times and up until last night when I watched it I don't think I could have told you what happens in it because it's just never really sunken in with me. I I agree with you totally. I mean, it's just so hard to watch this movie and not be mesmerized by the stop-motion animation. Just the amount of work that goes into a movie like that is staggering. But in terms of story, I was also curious to see whether or not it held up. I gotta tell you, man, this movie is like Les Mis in terms of, like, music. 
that there's very few dialogue breaks in this movie. There's shockingly little dialogue, and it, it also surprised me how much I enjoyed this as a kid, knowing, and I've mentioned this many times on the show, I hated musicals as a kid, and I hated parts in Disney movies where they started to sing. This whole movie is fucking singing, but... For some reason... This whole movie is a song. It's ridiculous. But for some reason, I really enjoy the way this movie handles its music because it really does move the plot forward. Every single song is either setting something up or describing a character or... You know, they don't seem like filler songs like I think a lot of Disney animated movie songs feel like. These actually feel like this is the story. Yeah, no fucking kidding. Like I said, it's kind of like Les Miserables because it just... Uh, like, there's very few dialogue breaks. Everything is explained in song. And like you said, it moves the plot along so much so that it's only a cool hour 17 minutes. <laughs> I did like that, dude. As I popped this in, I was like, Oh, phew, man. It's 77 minutes. <laughs> Let's get her done. That's what I said. I was like, oh, my God. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm okay with that. So the movie cost $18 million to make. It earned $50 million in its first run, which placed it about 10 for the year of 1993, but has been released several times. Like, I think in 2007 and 2008, they re-released it as a 3D movie um, around Halloween time and Christmas. This is a movie that does get put back into theaters every so often, so technically, it's actually earned $75 million if you count all of its kind of re-release totals. Who the fuck would want to watch this in 3D? Uh, dude, I'm not entirely sure. I know it's one of those post-conversion movies, and, and in my opinion... Uh, animated always looks better in 3D compared to live-action 3D. I can't stand, the, for the most part, a lot of live-action 3D. So I can understand, I guess, why they'd do this, but I wouldn't want to see it. <laughs> Man, get it the fuck away from me. I can't stand 3D. I think it's a gimmick, but whatever. I'm, I'm being an old miser now. <laughs> get this goddamn third dimension off my face. I remember when I was a kid, there were no such thing as 3D movies. You had to wear those blue and red glasses. Back when I was a kid, two dimensions were were all we needed. You think we needed two dimensions? Blech. I would have taken one dimension if I needed to see a movie. Back in my day, we only had one dimension, and you had to walk uphill in a snowstorm to get to it. Ah, uh, 16 miles either way. Let's just do the whole show like this. <laughs> no. Oh, man. So this is technically the third highest grossing stop motion film behind Chicken Run and Coraline. I didn't know Chicken Run did so well, by Ooh, the way. Chicken Run. <laughs> yeah, man. Maybe that's a state too. Yeah, Chicken Run. Dude, I remember seeing Chicken Run in the in the theaters. I've been suggesting that movie for a while. We should probably stay tuned for Chicken Run. Yeah, I'd be into that. They also did that Wallace and Gromit movie. I don't remember for that. The Curse of the Were-Rabbit, dude. Oh, yeah, that one that came out. Uh, you know what? When I was a kid, Wallace and Gromit was just about a man and his dog <laughs> going to the moon to eat cheese. <laughs> he didn't need no Were-Rabbits. Were-Rabbits? I bet that movie was in 3D, too, you damn kids. Like we had mentioned, Tim Burton did not direct this. Uh, apparently, The Nightmare Before Christmas originated as a poem written by Burton in about 1982 when he was working as an animator at Walt Disney Feature Animation. He planned on developing this short story into a sort of TV special that would air every year, similar to like a Charlie Brown, you know, It's the Great Pumpkin type deal, but eventually convinced Disney to make it as a feature film in 1990. So production wound up starting the next year. He had hoped to direct the movie, but Henry Selleck was placed in the chair instead of Burton because he started 
started production on Batman Returns in 1992, and then Ed Wood was beginning pre-production in 94. Uh, so Selleck estimates that Burton was really only present about eight to ten days during the whole filming of this production. Oh, Yet, for people still sake. call this Tim Burton, the Nightmare That sucks, it's man. Crazy. I would be so pissed if I were the people who worked on this film, because I don't know if you guys know this, and Brandon, this might be new information for you, stop motion is hard. It takes a lot of work. It's so hard, man. So hard. So it took a group of around 100 people three years to complete the movie. For a single second of film, up to 12 stop motion moves had to be made. An hour and 17 minutes, by the way. Holy shit. You wonder why it's so short, too. Yeah, they were fucking breaking a sweat to make the credits. I can't imagine, man. Yeah, no, I don't blame them. I would have, I would have, this movie, if I had been making it, would have been 20 minutes long. I'd have fucking slapped it on a VHS and been like here and just thrown it at people. Have you ever done any work with stop motion, by the way? Uh, I have, I think the most I ever did was I did something back in high school that was a total of maybe two, uh, maybe like 45 seconds long. Like, honestly, I, I did not put hard work into it at all. It sucks. It's not fun to do. Yeah, I did a Lego pirate thing in uh, middle school, I believe, for a class. And I think, yeah, probably rounded out about 30 seconds, and it took so goddamn long. I, I tried to be really creative. It involved filling a, do you know those plastic sleeves you put pieces of paper in to make sure they're, you know, yeah, nice and a folder? Clean and crisp. Yeah, well, no, not a folder. <laughs> no, those plastic clear ones, you know, to make yeah, sure your no, shit looks yeah, yeah, legit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I filled one of those with water, and then I put the camera underneath that so that it looked like I was filming in the ocean, and then I tossed oh. Lego creatures onto it. Dude, I probably got a C-plus on that. Oh, look at you, big C-plus, little overachiever. C Slightly above average. Yep. <laughs> the poem, uh, like we mentioned earlier, I guess he, it was inspired after seeing Halloween merchandise display in a store being taken down and replaced by Christmas display. And he thought the kind of juxtaposition of ghouls and goblins with, you know, Santa and his reindeer was, made kind of a cool idea. And to be honest, it's fucking genius. I, I think this this concept for a movie, while we may get into whether or not it's best suited for a 30-minute style type of Charlie Brown special, is goddamn genius. I You know, it is the contrast between Halloween and Christmas is so stark that it kind of it opens up a lot of avenues for what this movie could have been or was eventually um so I no I don't I don't hate the concept of this what I what I am a little worried about is that I read that they're consi- they were considering a sequel I don't know how you do it how you follow up this movie make another Coraline if you have to yeah exactly and maybe put Henry Selleck's Coraline yeah yeah if you have to make a sequel just make another Coraline but you know I wouldn't do that either so apparently upon completion of the film Disney realized you know what this thing's pretty fucking dark maybe we don't put this under the Disney banner let's throw it under our touchstone logo and that's kind of where the film was first released I think in the very beginning when it when it first hit theaters, I don't think it ever even had the Walt Disney logo. Of course, in re-releases and on home video, once they realized how goddamn successful this was, yeah, then they really, you know, slapped the Disney. You watch it on Hulu like I did, and boy, Disney's all over this fucking thing. They're like, no, no, it was our idea. It was a great movie. We love this. We love, well, I mean, Disney also recreates part of this for their the Haunted Mansion, right, during their park around Christmas and Halloween, I think, right? I remember being there and they've done this before. 
Mm-hmm. So this is the only fully animated Disney film of the 1990s to be rated PG by the MPAA. In fact, it's the only, it was the first animated film ever to receive that rating, which I thought was kind of cool, except uh, The Black Cauldron in 1985. Remember that one? That was a fucked up movie. Yeah, I'd rather not think about The Black Cauldron. <laughs> All right. And lastly, this film, like I mentioned, it was it was nominated for an Oscar uh, for visual effects. It lost to Jurassic Park. What a year, by the way, 93. It, however, did not score any original music or song nominations, which I thought was pretty fucking weird. Like, not a single one of these songs got nominated? Uh, that's weird that not not one song got nominated. I do think that's strange. But I got to tell you, man, uh, I'm a little music snobby. I wasn't super impressed with the, the music in this. Like, some really? Of the, okay, some of the songs okay. I thought, yeah, some of the songs I thought were a little meh, you know? And and you mentioned last week how, you know, we're getting into this because of the obsession of it. This is clearly taken over, you know, Hot Topic and Spencer's and you see it year round, but clearly more oh specifically God. around this time of year. So much Jack Skelling. What are your thoughts on the fan base itself? I don't understand it that much. I un- Listen, I understand that people like this movie and why they like this movie. There's reason to like this movie, but I don't understand the obsession with Jack Skellington so much. Jack Skellington, first of all, the whole idea that the Pumpkin King and someone who they all look for is like the least scary person in that fucking world. Like, there's so many other scary things going on in that Halloween land. But, uh, I mean, I don't understand the obsession with... Jack Skellington so much it, it was definitely a lot of like gothic kids love Jack Skellington and like you said it's all over Spencer's and uh it, like Jack Skellington is not really like that kind of person like if anything he's anti that culture he wants to have more joy and color in his life so what what is what is the obsession there I don't I genuinely don't understand I kind of wonder if it was just, I mean, again, we have to put ourselves back in the early 90s when this type of, I don't know, acceptance of being an outsider wasn't as prevalent or or as accepted, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's cool now to be that outsider. Yeah, but it eventually all comes around. This movie is about staying in your lane. I know we're jumping the gun, but this movie is about staying in your lane because towards the end, he's like, you know what? I'm not really cut out for this. I'm going to go back to my old life. Like it's it. There's a bad message in this movie. But I wonder. I wonder if that's kind of the appeal to. I wouldn't say gothic kids, but but kids who I guess identify with this character in the world. Um, you know, all these dark things. Is that the appeal that you know he's a person who feels like he doesn't belong, but realizes at the end that you know what he had it in himself to be the person he wanted to be all along. You know, type of deal. Is that the whole I guess appeal of it? Like I'm creepy and strange, but that's okay because people will love me. I think you're giving people too much credit. I think they like him because he's he wears all black pinstripe jacket with and he's fucking super tall and he's got a skull for a head. That's why I think people like him. I I I, I don't know. Maybe I just don't have the same faith in humanity. Hmm. Well, do you find this a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie? God damn it! I I was wondering this all day yesterday, trying to figure out if this was a Christmas or Halloween movie. Um. Man, I'm I'm going to go with this is more of a Halloween movie. Just based on there's way more Halloween music and themes in it than there are at Christmas. So, uh yeah, Halloween movie. I agree. I say if you watch it right before Halloween, you know, you're good for Christmas. You don't have to really rewatch it again. But if you know you are sick of the Christmas, you know, ho hum of all the hoppy holly jolly shit, you know, this is a nice one to throw in there if you want something a little different. 
We don't need more Christmas movies, I guess, is another way of putting it. We just don't. <laughs> there we go, yes. Yep, I agree. Uh, so let's get into it, man. We, we talked a little extra just because this movie is a scant 77 minutes, and a lot of it is music. So I think this could be a little hard to go plot by plot, but we're going to do our best. So we open up in Halloween Town, and we get what is, in my opinion, I think my favorite song of the whole movie. Boys and girls of every age, would you like to see something strange? Come with us and you will see. This is the only song I thought probably should have been nominated. It's a great song. It's uh, we've opened a podcast with this song before. Uh, me, that's me editing and not thinking ahead because uh, we used it. I think for Ernest Scared Stupid or something like that. <laughs> oh no, Halloween Town! Um, I think we used it for. Yeah. Oh no, that's right. We used it for Halloween Town. Um, and th- this song is great. And. My God, just immediately, right off the bat, you're struck by the animation because knowing that it's stop motion and knowing how much time goes in to just one second of it, it's just baffling the amount of work that goes into some of these musical set pieces. Well, yeah, you want you hear stop motion and you think, you know, going into this, and I wonder what the people who very first saw this back in 93 must have thought, but you think, oh, it may be very kind of stilted and all static angles because of how difficult this is, but the camera is whizzing and whirling about, and there's just so much life and energy to all of this, dude. It's You, you said impressive. It, it truly is. Even all these 25, 25 years later, it really is impressive. But yeah, we get introduced to Halloween Town. It's filled with, you know, vampires and werewolves and witches and ghosts and all this shit, and you mentioned stop motion. There's all also some some uh, animation over it as well, like some of the ghosts are animated, and there are some traditional. Uh, there's also the ghost dog that he has zero. I don't know how the fuck they did that. Like there's some stuff I just don't know how they even pulled off. I could tell that it's a marriage of computer generated effects and stop motion, but it's baffling, man. Every once in a while, you will get a shot of live live action because I remember this specific scene where she's handing the guy soup, and uh, they they use it. They show that it's like a strainer instead of an actual spoon. Oh, and yeah. And you can see, if you look hard, it's it's very clearly like 90s grade film camera. It's pretty fucking cool, actually. I love the animation. The character designs are really awesome as well because everything's ugly and gross and misshapen. And uh, But but you get the, the sense that all of these creatures in this town, you know, they love Halloween. They, they not, they're scary, but they're not necessarily mean. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, it's true. They they're just honestly they're just doing their jobs. Like they live for Halloween. It's what they're supposed to do. Uh, it's like the fucking it's kind of like the Who's if they wanted to only celebrate Halloween. Like they just live for fucking Halloween, not that they're necessarily bad people. They're just weird. Yeah, and, and what I've never kind of understood about this is how, you know, later towards the end we'll get the, you know, the Christmas world and how Christmas affects the real world where Santa actually goes there. But the people of Halloween Town never interact with the real world. So I wonder what the point of them, what 
like all year long they they all wait for this you know one night of the year and then they do their little you know fucking jamboree sing a sing song fest and then they just plan for next halloween again that's kind of a hellish existence maybe it's like monsters inc where they like they use it to fuel their energy and electricity source oh yeah okay that's probably maybe what maybe it is, I, yeah. I was just confused as to the world itself like what's going on there the other days i know that they're you know preparing for halloween but it seems like they were all preparing for this one sing-along, and then everyone just goes back home. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I don't get it. I don't. And and it'd also be cool to see, like, what they're actually doing on Halloween, because the film just picks up at, like, the end of Halloween. They're like, all right, we'll see you next year. <laughs> yeah, like, well, that's we, it. we get introduced very briefly to some of the characters who are going to come back. There is, of course, Jack Skellington, King of the Pumpkin Patch. And, what you, dude, when you finally see him, because he's underneath a, a pumpkin, he jumps into some well, and he rises— Dude, when it comes up and in this town we call home, everyone handle the pumpkin song, la la, and he stands up, dude. That's a fucking epic shot. I still get chills like that with the music swelling and stuff, and him standing up and the camera wheels around him like a dolly. Dude, I love that shit. That's awesome. In this town we call home, everyone hail to the pumpkin song. The, the shot is incredible, I will give you that, but I don't get chills just because, I, if anything, I get a little bit of disappointment because we see all these amazing, scary clay animation creatures just kind of popping around, doing their own thing, and they keep talking up this fucking pump, Pumpkin King who's supposed to be like the scariest fucking person in the universe, and then he pops up, and while you're right, the shot is fucking amazing, uh, Jack Skellington himself, not scary. L- the least scary thing in this entire movie. I think Santa Claus is fucking scarier than Jack Skellington in this movie. Well, Oogie Boogie certainly is more scary than, than Jack Skellington. Yeah, he, absolutely. We get a brief shot of him as his face is on the moon and whatnot. And we also get Sally, who is portrayed by Catherine O'Hara in this movie. Uh, a Tim Burton regular, and I like her voice, and her character is very strange to me. She's basically like a like a, a doll that's been created by a mad scientist, right? Like a living doll. Yeah, I think she's supposed to be like, I, she definitely is supposed to be like a Frankenstein monster. Well, yeah, yeah, he's Dr. Finkelstein. Yeah, but she's stuffed with leaves, so I just kind of made the assumption that she was maybe like a scarecrow of some sort, or I don't know. Yeah, she's kind of a mixture of both, I'll agree. And then, um, yeah, William Hickey, by the way. This is our second William Hickey movie. He he does the voice of the Dr. Finkelstein, who's this bald, gross, like, guy in a wheelchair all the time. I love when his lip quivers, by the way. Scarier than Jack <laughs> Also Skellington. scarier, yeah, I'll agree. Yeah. But uh, William Hickey, obviously, played the old dying dad in Mouse Hunt. Remember him, dude? Yes, I remember. That was his last film before he died. That was. And this is also our second Tim Burton production, Who Could Forget Planet of the Apes. Say hello to you, Monkey for me. Hey, monkey. How you doing? Want to kiss later? <laughs> so Jack, he's kind of a mopey moperson. You know what I mean? Like, and that's the other part of this character that I'm not a huge fan of. Is, is he's really just kind of sad a lot of the movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. See, like th- this is again, like I hold that Jack Skellington's not really that good of a guy because he you know he's mopey and i get it like everybody wants change everybody wants to find a little bit of purpose and if you've been doing the halloween thing for all eternity i can certainly understand why you would want to change but he like he really gets kind of invested and he misunderstands like 
a lot of things and doesn't listen to his friends or the opinions of others, I don't think he's that great of a guy. He's also got a dog, a ghost dog, Zero, who for some reason has a red nose uh, that glows. Uh, that might come into it later, though, dude. <laughs> I was going to say that might be for plot purposes, but I don't think so. I don't think they would do that. Then we get our second song already, uh, Jack's Lament. Oh, somewhere deep inside of these bones, an emptiness began to grow. There's something out there far from my home, a longing that I've This one is pretty good. I like this one as well, and I like when uh, Sally does her rendition kind of towards the end. I like the the, the tone and whatnot, and this is where we kind of get that epic shot of him, you know, the moon behind him and that weird, like, fucking curly finger mountain thing. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty iconic shot right there in the graveyard. But yeah, he's wandering kind of into the woods, and he's been singing this song that kind of just tells the audience that he's sick of doing this shit. Uh, you know, eventually, after you do this for so many years, he's, he's the best at it. He knows it. You know, his dick's long. It hits to the floor. Floor, but he's sick of dragging it right yeah and like honestly i can relate <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile we yeah, we see a little bit of uh sally's home life where she returns to the finkelstein's castle where i guess she's i guess she has drugged him again that's like the second or third time she keeps drugging him with this deadly nightshade and he he has to like oh you came back and she's like well i needed my arm basically so he's got to sew her arm back on the mayor is this fucking weirdo who's got two faces. <laughs> I kind of like the the uh, animation and the look of this guy. I also love when he falls down this set of staircase and he's just like, Aah. if anyone's seen this movie, please just put that on a loop. I want that as a ringtone. Yeah, he's pretty great. Uh, scarier than Jack Skellington for sure. The... The pace of this movie, like we said, it's a minute 17 or an hour 17. That'd be something else. Uh, it's an hour and 17 long um, and it moves at a breakneck speed, which I understand why animation stop animation obviously takes a lot of time and, you know, it's a pain in the ass. But I think the pace of this movie tends to hurt uh, some of its character and story development a little bit. Like, for instance, uh it's just said that Sally is like, I just, I don't want to be in my house anymore. Okay, why? Like, and the doctor won't let her out of the house. Why? We don't really get a lot of these explanations, um, and we don't get a lot of buildup, or like, why, what is the history between Jack and Sally? Like, I we don't know any of these things. We're just supposed to kind of take it based off of exposition that this is the way things are and we just don't really get a chance to investigate further in any of the plot from what i understand i don't think sally's ever met jack or that's what i gathered i also just get that she wants to leave the house because you know you're right you're right because he's also this you know mythic figure that everyone in town seems to at least know or have met at one point and she's kind of sheltered in the in the shack but i don't why? know what, if he's using her as a sex yeah, doll or what exactly. he's doing yeah you're is right she a I, know, sex I, I hear doll. you man I that's you. really the question i want answered is she a sex doll i think she's definitely a sex doll what else is that guy doing with her you know what i mean but he's paralyzed so what could he do anyway dude who knows but i do like the the fact that he's got like a trapdoor head and he lifts up his he lifts up his his like the top part of his skull to like feel his brain <laughs> i love when that happens he's like gushing it around and shit gross but uh jack kind of wanders off in his you know mopey moperson mood and he winds up finding this uh kind of wooded glen where there's seven trees in a circle and this is i guess 
every world has this, I would assume, but it's seven holidays. Each door represents a holiday. There's Thanksgiving and Easter and all of them. St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> um, I don't know if there's an Arbor Day one. I couldn't tell. But there is one with a tree that's Christmas related. Is there a Canadian Thanksgiving, do you think? Well, I didn't know what the, the cutoff for holidays were. You know what I mean? Is there a President's Day? I don't know, man. I, I have no idea. I'd like to know. But Jack is enamored by, you know, all the sparkling lights and everything on this door. So he decides to open this Christmas tree and winds up getting sucked in by the snow. And he gets this weird trippy as, you know, animation of him falling into Christmas town. And here we are. It's snowing. Everything's bright. People seem happy. What's this? And uh, it's an upbeat spirit. We get another song. I do like this one as well, man. I got to say, I think all of the good music is kind of front loaded in this movie because the first few songs I'm digging quite immensely. What's this? The monsters are all missing and the nightmares can't be found. And in their place, there seems to be good feeling all around. Instead of screams, I swear I can hear music in the air. The smell of cakes and pies are absolutely the sights, the sounds, they're everywhere and all around. I've never felt so good before. This empty place inside of me is filling up. I simply cannot get enough. I want it, oh, I want it, oh, I want it for my own. I've got to know, I've got to know it is this place that I have found. What is this? I think all the good music comes in maybe the first half of this film because I like this song. I like the opening song. Jack's Lament is... Uh, it's not terrible. It's not my favorite. And then the song that the kids sing, I really enjoy. And also the song where they're in the auditorium, I enjoy a lot. But after that, that's when the that's when I have sort it kind of takes a downswing for me. But Christmas Town has all this, you know, the traditional imagery you'd associate with the holiday. There are Christmas trees everywhere. People are ice skating and snowball fights and there's fucking treats and bakery bakeries and everything. It's it's wonderful. It's something he's never experienced before and he is truly just enamored by how wonderful this place really is. So he gets the idea that maybe he can bring a little Christmas back to his dreary town uh, of Halloween Town. In the town itself, though, right now, people are losing their goddamn minds. It's been like, I think, 12 hours since he's been gone or whatever. But for some reason, the town's shut down. And essentially, the mayor's collapsed and like, oh, did we drain the lake? We got to find this son of a bitch. Yeah, which because, you know, there's only 365 or 364 days until next Halloween. So they already have to start planning. No wonder this guy wants to fucking kill himself. Like, I can't <laughs> even imagine just like. <laughs> Halloween ending and then being like, all right, we got to figure out next year. Like what? Less than six hours after the the first one ended. Go to hell. <laughs> yeah. Then the mayor arrives at his house with like blueprints of pumpkins and shit. Like, oh fuck, this guy is the worst. Oh man, I don't fucking care. Yeah, get away from me. He's an elected official. He even says that. They have a whole fucking democracy set up. He's like, I'm an elected official. I can't deal with this. <laughs> that's true. He does. But why isn't Jack the mayor, if that's the case, wouldn't you think everyone would just vote for... Maybe there's a whole thing. Like, may, like Jack doesn't want to be mayor. I don't know. Yeah, and he's supposedly, he's supposedly a king. I don't know, man. I'd like to get into the backstory. But again, a minute, an hour and 17, I, we just we don't have time. He's a king and there's a mayor? What? What? What city or town does that, dude? What country? Who is this place, man? I fucking don't understand this place, this Halloween town. <laughs> the the alarms are sound throughout the town, which I like is just a cat screaming. It's like, <laughs> like that is funny. <laughs> you like that noise, man? 
Yeah, I do like that noise. I hope you do it more. So Jack returns, though, and the town loses their shit. Everyone's super psyched to see him. But what's this? He's brought along a bunch of weird shit. And this is where we get, I think it's actually called the town meeting song, which I'm not really a fan of this one. This is where he just kind of goes through what he's brought, what Christmas is. This is a thing called a present. The whole thing starts with a box. A box? Is it steel? Is it filled with a box? A box? How delightful a box. If you please. Just the box with bright colored paper. And the whole thing's popped with a bow. A bow? But why? How ugly? What's in it? What's in it? That's the point of the thing, not to know. Dude, this is when I started to really notice. I thought it a few times, but this was the turning point for me where I start to think, you know, this movie really is like very straight up for kids like there is not a lot here for the teenage to young adult uh, this is almost entirely i feel like for young children this movie it feels almost like a some of the writing and some of the storytelling feels almost straight to tv movie special uh, that's what i said yeah it does kind of feel a lot like a tv special it's just kind of padded out with these with this music if without the music it would honestly be a 30 minute <laughs> maybe even less yeah I also understand why he'd be pissed to live in this town because all of the residents here are fucking imbeciles. He keeps trying to just describe what these things are and they keep turning it into something else. He's like, oh, look, this is, you know, like a Christmas light. And like, oh, do you shove it in someone's fucking face and they die or whatever? Everything he comes, this is a snowflake. And they're like, oh, do you, you know, cut someone's head off with it? No, it's a fucking snowflake. (laughs) All right. And they're very and they're very clearly not on the same page because Jack wants to bring genuine Christmas cheer to Halloween Town, and they all think this is like a way to just continuously fuck up people's lives from Halloween. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like even I, I, and I feel like they're never on this same page because I feel like when you know he's and I'm jumping the plot gun here, but whatever. You've seen the movie. Um, when he's going around delivering presents and shit's just kind of going wrong, and like Jack, if he knew what was going on, would clearly be dismayed but all the residents in halloween town are like oh they're all petrified this is working so it's like they're never ever at one point on the same page about what christmas is yeah i mean that's a lot of where the comedy comes to especially where they're like creating some of the presents later on too that they're gonna ship out and they're like just dead rats that they're beating with hammers and stuff that's funny But yeah, Sally once again drugs what's-his-fuck with some more nightshade and frog's breath and worm's wart and all that shit. And then is it at this point that she leaps out the window to, I guess, <laughs> she wants to give Jack like a basket of goodies, right? Yeah, she wants to bring him like two bottles of booze and like a <laughs> and like a dead fish or something like that. So she jumps out of the building and in what's probably the most graphic thing in this movie, we cut to her. And, like, she's lost, like, all of her limbs, except for one of them, because she fucking jumped out of a building. It's pretty gross. Well, yeah, and she gets this weird premonition thing, because that night, just beforehand, Jack has arrived at the actual castle to ask Dr. Finkelstein if he can borrow some equipment from for some experiments he's, he's running. Um, so when she discovers that he's up to something... She has this like little Christmas tree or whatnot that is engulfed in flames. And I don't know if she has premonitions or a final destination type gift. 
Uh, but she can clearly tell that something isn't going the way he's planning and that, you know, trouble's afoot. So she's she's clearly uneasy. And again, where did this come from? Is this something that happens with her often? Like, we don't know. It just, like, it happens and she's like, no, I saw it. Well, Zach, this happens with all sentient sex oh, dolls. Is that what all happened? sentient yeah. sex dolls can see the oh, future. Yeah. I, I should have known that. I own several of them. <laughs> I am one, dude. What? <laughs> but uh, meanwhile, up in Jack's tower, He's been, you know, obsessing over Christmas. Everything in his house is now Christmas related. Even the spider webs are like, you know, hung with Christmas tree lights and whatnot. And this is where we get another song, Jack's Obsession. Christmas time is buzzing in my skull. Will it let me be? I cannot tell. There are so many things I cannot grasp. When I think I've got it, then at last, through my bony fingers, it does slip. Like a snowflake in a fiery grip Something here I'm not quite getting Though I try I keep forgetting Like a memory long since past Here in an instant gone in a flash What does it mean? What does it mean? Where he's, yeah, isolated himself in his tower Trying to understand the holiday But he simply can't Correct. <laughs> Ultimately, he winds up deciding, though, that it's not fair for the folks of Christmas Town to have all the fun, and that you know what, this year Christmas will be ours. Yeah, and so he they go about setting off all these plans, and you know this is a classic case of good intentions but sort of bad execution because he gives everyone a job and they clearly don't really understand what the job is and again like we mentioned not on the same page with Jack about what they're supposed to accomplish but Jack is also a little misguided in it because he's kind of giving out these instructions that aren't quite right he doesn't really know Santa Claus's real name he thinks he's Sandy Claus he thinks he's a lobster king um and he it's funny he, he orders, yeah, it is kind of funny. Uh, and he orders these three kids to kidnap Santa Claus so that he, like, he can take the night off or something like that. I, I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, again, he's, misguided. He's trying to essentially do a favor for this guy. Uh, so he orders Lock, Stock, and Barrel, these three degenerate, I guess they're, they're basically henchmen for this fucking bug puppet ghost man. This, the boogie, the boogeyman. Um, who they call Oogie Oogie Boogie. Yeah, the Oogie Boogie Man, which we haven't described yet. Yeah, but he's, I guess, the uh, town hermit, kind of. Like, no one really... He's even too bad for Halloween Town. He's kind of, like, isolated himself off, and uh, he has three young children who work for him. Yeah, apparently he's a degenerate gambler, and we don't know why, but he is. But we'll we'll get into that, too. Uh, This is where... The kids are like, all right, they they start planning out how they're going to eventually capture and torture Santa Claus. Um, And then we get a song. And this is the one song that I thought this is the song I think of when I think of the Nightmare Before Christmas, because I love the uh, the sort of Halloween theme music to it. And the the weird uh, harmonies in it. It's all very cool. And, you know, it's about torture and all that. It's a good song for me. Yeah, man. Kidnap the Sandy Claws. Jack said we should work together. Three of a kind. Birds of a feather. Now and forever. Kidnap the Sandy Claws. Lock him up real tight. Throw away the key and then turn off all the lights. First, we're going to 
set some bait inside a nasty trap and wait. When he comes sniffing, we will snap the trap and close the gate. If you want an even better version, Corn redid it, dude. That's Corn with a K. Oh, wow. No, never. I would never want to freaking hear that ever. Don't ever. Hey, do me a favor, Brandon. But next time you want to make a suggestion, make a good one, please. I don't want to hear corn. Please. Thanks. Uh, Marilyn Manson did Halloween Town, if you were interested uh, in that. Hey, did. Brandon. Uh, hey, Brandon. Do me a favor. Next time you got some bright idea to make money quick, why don't you just go ahead and not say it? I think Panic at the Disco did one too, dude. Oh, I'm hanging up. I'm <laughs> no, hanging no, no, up no, 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 no. I'm mad at you. <laughs> no, that's it. Nostalgia be damn over. No. Bye. <laughs> oh man, but yeah, like you said, they're 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 constantly trying to compare every one of their ideas to what they've been doing in Halloween Town. Uh, so they, they clearly just don't get it. Sally, at this point, I believe, does tell Jack that she had a vision of a Christmas tree engulfed in flames and that, you know, all of his efforts are going to be disastrous. But he dismisses her because he's just feeling too damn good. Uh, that's a Nickelback song. Uh, hey, Brandon. He that uh, he assigns her the task make a, of sewing re- him a red Next time you want to make a reference, go ahead and don't make a Nickelback reference to me ever again. Okay? Thanks, Brandon. Can you please not? Whatever. Fine, dude. I know. Never made it as a poor man, wise man. Never made it as a poor man stealing. Oh, man. Is that it? There was a point in time where I used to be able to <laughs> mute your mic if this happened. Ah, oh, shit. Oh, and what's his face? Doctor Finkelstein. He's tasked with building some fucking skeletal reindeer. Pretty cool, actually. He's pretty cool. But he's I also like building. That. He's also building a new person because he's like, I'm fucking sick of the old model. She keeps poisoning me or whatever. <laughs> so he starts building a new sex doll that he makes out with. He's like kissing her, and his fucking brain shuts on her lip or something, right? At some point, or his brain shuts on his own lip. Yeah, he takes half of his brain out and puts it in the head and like closes it, and it shuts on his lip. That's definitely a sex doll. Why would you put your own brain in some inanimate object if you weren't? gonna have sex with it dude. well because he's not looking for just a sex doll he's looking for a sex doll relationship that's why he puts half his brain in it he wants to have good conversation oh okay dude. <laughs> okay okay so we get another song this is making christmas Da-na-na. this one's pretty good too i like the 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 uh, actual music uh arrangement underneath not necessarily the vocals but i do like the the the, the tune of it Danny Elfman, you know, he does the voice of Jack Skellington when he's singing. I believe Chris Sarandon is the talk, talking voice. But uh, he wrote all the music, obviously, and it's good music. I think it is good. Well, so I really like the ensemble songs. A, a lot of the solo songs uh, don't really do it for me as much. But when he, when he gets everybody involved, when he gets the whole choir and all the cast members, that's when I think I really like the song. So at some point, uh, they've kidnapped the Easter Bunny, <laughs> um, Lock, Stock, and Barrel. And I was also wondering who would be some of the mascots of the other towns. Like, I'm assuming maybe it's a fucking giant turkey for Thanksgiving, but like, and maybe a leprechaun for St. Pat. I don't know, man. I want to meet all of them. I would assume St. Patrick is the uh, 
mascot for St. Patrick's Day. But what if uh, it's a tall fucking Guinness, dude? What if it's just a, an inanimate Guinness who talks and stuff? I, I was just about to say if there was any world that I could live in out of these stupid Halloween worlds or these holiday worlds, I would probably pick the St. Patrick's Day one. Oh, absolutely, dude. Domestic abuse, alcoholism, it's all there. All right, stereotypes. All right, stereotypes. You get away <laughs> from Irish. me. I'm Irish. I'm Irish. I can do that. I'm Irish. Uh, I can... <laughs> uh, get away from me. So am I. I'll beat you up. I'll, I'll get drunk and beat oh, you man. up. I will get drunk and beat you up, <laughs> you Protestant piece of crap. Where are we going with this? I don't know. Oh, uh, man. They uh, kidnapped where the, are we? Oh, yeah, so the yeah, Easter he, Bunny. Yeah, the Easter Bunny, and um, yeah, we also get cuts back to uh, actual Christmas Town where he's gearing up for Christmas itself. After they finally do get the real Santa Claus, um, you know, Jack is, steals his hat and is basically like, oh man, you're going to get the day off. It's going to be dope. These kids are going to take care of you. Have fun. We've got it from here. And instead of, you know, accommodating his needs, they wind up bringing him to Oogie Boogie. Yeah, they sacrifice him to the boogeyman. <laughs> Dude, I love the look of this entire world for some reason. And again, you mentioned why is he a degenerate gambler? I don't know, but it's like his entire world is like this neon casino with all this bizarre imagery, almost like day, it's beautiful. Like day of the Dead too. It's it's just bizarre. And yeah, he himself is my favorite looking creature uh, in the entire movie. He's basically a sack, like a potato sack ghost, but on the and he's all sewn together, and on the inside, he's just fucking riddled with bugs. <laughs> yeah, it's pre- I I really like the boogeyman. Um, I like his song, and uh, I love all the the colors in it. What I don't understand is why no one at any point is mad at the children for doing this. Like, well, eventually when they find out that Santa is with the oogie boogie man, they 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 never lament the children. They're just like, oh, okay, well I best we I guess we better go get them, and that's it. Yeah, talk about naughty list. Am I right, Zach? Hey, separate question. Have you ever gotten coal? No. You know why? Because Santa Claus isn't real. I, Dude, listen. For all the people we just ruined that for, also, thank you, and I'm sorry. We'll get letters. Uh, but I have gotten coal before. My mom gave me coal once. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? Dude, 100% on my life. We also got some gifts, but like in my stocking, I remember at the bottom of it, there was like, you know, candies and all the shit in the in the, in the top part. At the bottom of the foot, there was literally hunks of coal. And at first, I didn't even know what it was because I had never fucking seen coal before, even in the 90s. Uh, but staring at it, I was like, what is Your mom dude, fucking was, sent you a message. I know message. she did, but she was like, oh, you must not have been all good this year. Santa looks like he got you some coal. Dude, I racked my brain for months thinking about what I had done to disappoint the big man. It was probably all the masturbation. Yeah, it was probably the masturbation, but little did you know that it wasn't Santa Claus mad at you masturbating. It was your mom mad at you for masturbating. (laughs) Anyway, moving on. (laughs) Stop masturbating, Brandon. (laughs) The coal has that written on the bottom. (laughs) Anyway. I saw you masturbate. Exactly. I see you when you're sleeping and master and tugging. Uh, okay. Anyway, <sighs> so fog has set in in Halloween Town. Uh, I think because Sally actually manipulates the well, right? Doesn't she put something in there to cause the fog? Because she's clearly she thinks that you know the tit the plans are going to go tits up. It's the longest setup for a throwaway Rudolph joke because. Uh, she she sets the fog out thinking that'll stop Jack because if the reindeer can't see, 
then there's no way that they can take off, much like every uh, United flight you've ever been on. And, <laughs> Southwest. Uh, huh, that, was a, that was an airline joke. Yeah. <laughs> Good one, dude. But luckily, Zero has a bright red nose. Oh, my God, dude, do you remember when we said they probably wouldn't call back to that? They did. Um, that's It's probably the only reason Zero has a bright red nose is for this <laughs> for this joke where he he leads the 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 pack with his bright red nose much like Rudolph the red nose reindeer of skeletal reindeer yeah to deliver the gifts that the town people have created which again we've said are horrific <laughs> horrific gifts something like severed giant. heads dead animals uh yeah, it's pretty sweet. Then we get Sally's song, and this is her kind of lamenting about how much Jack means to her and whatnot. And as a kid, I did want to fast forward through this one. This is just, you know, again, she's got a beautiful voice, and it's kind of the same exact Jack's lament. And I like how they mirror each other, but at this point, I just want to get to really what the meat and potatoes of the movie I thought as a kid was going to be, which is them wreaking havoc in the real world. I sense there's something in the wind that feels like tragedy. As a kid, I really wanted things to get going, if you know what I meant. Yeah, which is weird to say because it's such a short movie, but it does kind of like grind the movie to a, to a very brief halt. But once we are in the real world, I really like this. Uh, so they're basically just destroying all of these families' houses, and so that all the presents that they're leaving behind are just fucking shit up. There's a wreath that comes alive and snakes eating trees and toys are chasing kids around the house. It's pretty good stuff. This is when people in the real world start panicking, too. They actually call in the military to shoot down Jack Skellington because they realized it's clearly not the real Santa Claus. And so while they're shooting him down and eventually they do shoot him down, uh, he they you know, they talk about how Santa Claus probably isn't coming. Christmas is canceled this year. And so <laughs> Dude, this is the best thing ever. The police. Yeah, because once the police are called, the military blows him out of the sky over the loudspeaker throughout this town is like, we're sorry, but there's no sign of real Santa. It looks like Christmas is going to be canceled this year. Yeah. But there's no mention of the fact that like board yourself inside. There was a fucking skeleton man breaking into people's houses and <laughs> leaving things there. We had to shoot this guy down with missiles. It's not confirmed that he's dead, but we did shoot him down. He's also got a host of hellish reindeer. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, Sally is like, maybe there's still time to save Christmas. So she goes to find Santa Claus and ends up getting captured by the boogeyman herself. And uh, he's he's trying to he's finna kill him. He's finna kill him. <laughs> Jack, meanwhile, is still alive. His body, again, another real epic shot is when you finally see where he's fallen. He's in that, like, cradled in the arms of this angel statue in this cemetery. His jaws ripped off. He puts it back on. And his song here um, is basically, I think it's called Poor Jack, but it's him realizing, you know what? Like, yeah, I fucked this all up, but I'm the fucking Pumpkin King. I rule, and, you know, I still kind of had fun doing it. <laughs> what the I went and did my best, and by God, I really tasted something swell. That's right, 
And for a moment, why, I even touch the sky! And at least I left some stories they can tell. I did! And for the first time since, I don't remember when, I felt just like my old bunny self again. And I, Jack, the Pumpkin King. That's right. I am the Pumpkin King. <laughs> Again, it's a stay in your lane sort of moment for Jack. It's a, it's a, you know what? Like I, this isn't cut out for me. I'm gonna go back to doing what I'm good at, and uh, you know that's cool. I was happy for like a day. <laughs> So he's back in the land of Halloween Town, and we do have this kind of climactic. I don't know. Again, I'm not sure what's meant to be the actual climax of the movie. Is it this? Is it when he gets shot down? I'm not quite sure because his moment of realization, the whole poor Jack song, I feel like probably should come at the very end when he's realized his, you know, message. But instead, he like realizes it, and then he's got this little like, oh, I got to go battle Oogie Boogie now. Yeah, the act structure is really kind of off in this movie. Um, but he goes to fight the boogeyman, and we get a really, really cool fight sequence or somewhat of a fight sequence. There's actually no like fist thrown, but like a lot of like knives and buzz saws and like cool movement. It must've been a bitch to make. I cannot imagine dude. It's ridiculous. But yeah, it's at one point Santa's almost killed, but Oogie is eventually killed when Jack pulls apart the thread that's holding him together. And yeah, it reveals this just massive pile of bugs underneath. <laughs> and yeah, he falls into a cauldron and uh, there he's killed. Yep. And uh, so, you know, they're all happy because Santa, they free Santa. He goes to give the kids a real fucking Christmas, not this stupid Halloween bullshit Christmas that Jack Skellington tried to make. I'm just super, super glad that Christmas wasn't canceled. In the 90s, we were always worried Christmas might get canceled, man. Oh, Dude, everybody was worried Christmas was canceled. Let me tell you fucking something. Christmas comes whether you want it to or not. That's what the original Grinch set out to prove. Get over yourselves, 90s. Dude, we were we were so pissed off at dads for working and for Santa maybe canceling Christmas. Uh, we were unforg- it was unforgivable. Yeah, who gives a shit? But yeah, dude, every seems to be everything seems to be good. Santa's able to make his way back to the real world, I guess in time and uh, deliver everything. Uh, according to schedule, then it actually starts snowing in Halloween Town. Yeah, I was going to say, even delivers a Christmas to the folks of Halloween Town. And then we also get one final song where Sally and Jack finally do get together, even though they've only talked about twice in this entire movie. But they're meant to be together forever. Yeah, there's a nice little song there, too. And I love that little epic shot at the end of his, like, skeleton arms wrapping around her. I do that in real life when I hug people. My arms strangely move at, like, weird, unhuman-like angles when I hug people. Yeah, I can attest to this. I've gotten a hug from Brandon before. It is spindly and uncomfortable. <laughs> it's cold and clammy like a scarecrow, man. And he smells. <laughs> oh, dude. Reeks, reeks, reeks. My dearest friend, if you don't mind, I'd like to join you by your side. Where we can gaze into the stars and sit together now and forever. And yeah, dude, it starts pulling out. They're singing their last song. Every memory of looking out the back door. I had the photo album spread out on my bedroom floor. 
It's hard to say it. Time to say it. Goodbye. Goodbye. That was photographed by Nickelback. Yes, I know what that was. Okay. And uh, you make okay. one more right, Nickelback cool. and sure I will never come back. All right. Just tell me what you thought of this fucking movie. <laughs> the Nightmare Before Christmas, dude. I think this movie is close to being as important as Star Wars in its effects, man. I think this really pushed the genre so far forward that it changed it. It's truly a game changer. Looking at it today, the story doesn't quite hold up to our animated films of today. We're getting such complex things like Inside Out and whatnot. And no, this has none of the emotional uh, connection or anything like that that I hold to some of you know recent Pixar films or some of Disney's best. But I will say... This is probably one of Disney's, you know, most accomplished films of the 90s. It's still one of my favorite Halloween movies and a movie I'll continue to put in my lineup. And yeah, I would say it's worth most of the praise. I, I can't say that this is a movie that would that should really define a generation like I feel it kind of did. This movie kind of defined a lot of us for that grungy era of like, you know, fuck you, mom. I don't give a shit. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I don't know. I think the movie itself, without looking at the fan base, or what it's attracted since, I guess kind of its cult following. If I'm just watching the movie, I think it's a fucking impressive feat of animation. It's wildly imaginative. You know, it's a movie I'll see, I'll show my kids. I don't think it's worth maybe a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, but I'd give it a, a high 80s. I do think it's a pretty damn good movie, man. Yeah, no, I think that's all fair. I think um, it, it's hard. It, I, I'm really kind of at odds with this movie because... Man, I could rewatch this movie three times today and just stare at the animation. Like, I could mute it and just be enthralled with the animation and what they're doing in terms of how well technically done this movie is. Uh, I agree with you that I think it, it really sort of pushed the boundary of effects and animation. I don't know if it's as influential as Star Wars, but I, I, I do agree that it does influence a lot of both modern animation and sort of what we can accomplish with film. That being said, um, I think let's let's just play out this scenario. This movie isn't stop motion animation. It's just straight up cartoon animation. Um, I don't think this movie does as well. I think it's a straight to TV film that uh, we kind of lambaste for a plot that's uh, just too short. Uh, not really well developed and sort of, uh, I won't say unoriginal because it is kind of, a, it is original. It's a, it's a unique idea. It's not a bad plot. It's just, you know, I think it moves too fast for its own good. And while there is stop motion animation, you can understand why, because get this fucking movie over with, it's going to take us three years to make it. I think without the animation aspect of it, uh, it, this movie doesn't do as well and it's not as good, but that's a testament to what this animation does because I think it is worth the 90 if you're just looking at the animation. What they do in this film is absolutely breathtaking and definitely one that should be remembered. And you know what? Show this movie to your kids because it's a great kids movie. That being said, I don't, I still don't really understand the culture behind it and people, you know, getting Jack Skellington tattoos and them. you go into Disney world, there's Jack Skellington shit all over the fucking place. At least there was the last time I was there. Like in every store, they had a Jack Skellington thing and it's like, okay, he's not that cool. It's hard to say what 
what the obsession is over some of the culture of it. Uh, you know, obviously it's weird and it's outlandish and that resonates with a lot of people. Um, but I, I, I don't think it sets the tone in the nineties in any way in terms of culture. I think it, it was, if anything, it was more trendy um, instead of sort of tone setting, but it's still a good movie. Um, I, I agree. It doesn't get a 95, probably a high eighties to maybe a 90, just just solely based on the animation some of the music is pretty good some of it's not that good um and tim burton didn't direct it i just want that to be on the record yeah i think it's exquisite execution of a brilliant concept it's just the plot you know leaves a little to and be again desired. because the animation you can overlook that um had this been a straight up 2d cartoon it'd be on it wouldn't be as forgivable i think it's it's a much worse movie without the stop motion i absolutely agree and i was just looking up actually the top like earners for stop motion animated movies um and they don't make a lot of money for the most part chicken runs the only movie that's you know crossed a hundred million dollars and and these are most of them make like 30 something million dollars despite the fact that they take so long to make but what's interesting is looking at the list of this movies there aren't a lot of stinkers that stop motion animation i think is a is a you know, a form of art that really requires, like, if you go to a studio, you have to have this fucking, like, it's got to be a good script. This isn't one I think that they greenlight just a fluffy animated movie. They, you know, there aren't a hundred small foots, you right. know, of, of these animated type varieties. Like, they're not just throwing these things in theaters. These are commitments. Like, so they got, like, Paranorman and Corpse Bride, Kubo and the Two Strings, Frankenweenie, Isle of Dogs just this year, Fantastic Mr. Fox. These are movies that are really well critically acclaimed. Audiences, for the most part, don't really like love them that much. They don't go to see them. But stop motion, I'm a huge fan of because I love movies and because I love the fact that filmmakers are so passionate that they dedicate years of their lives for something that, sadly, not a lot of people are going to see, even less people are going to appreciate for the time it took to make. The Nightmare Before Christmas was a pioneer and deserves to be remembered as kind of a pseudo-90s classic. I think a lot of people don't go see those because they're reminded of like uh, we were t Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, like those claymation movies that used to come out way, way, way earlier um, that don't really sit well because they come off as campy. Um, so I, I just don't know if audiences have really caught up to it in terms of how it's received as an art form. But I, I do agree that it, it takes a lot of fucking Stugats to make <laughs> those movies so uh kudos to them well man uh before we get into our uh next week's episode you got any up or downs or anything to recommend yeah so uh my recommend this week um i i i've never really brought this up on the podcast but i'm a huge video game fan and uh one of my favorite video games is getting a sequel that drops next week red dead redemption uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 is coming out next week. It's essentially Grand Theft Auto, but with horses and it's set in the Old West. Um, so to get myself hyped up for it, I've been re-watching HBO's Deadwood. And uh, it is one of the best dramas of all time. It's historical fiction. Deadwood is an actual real place in South Dakota. It's where Wild Bill Hickok was killed. Calamity Jane spent a lot of time there. So it's a real story about actual living cowboys and fucking frontiersmen. And Ian McShane uh, really kind of set a tone with the amount of profanity and disgusting language that he uses in it. Um, it's it's an absolutely unbelievable show 
that's available to see in a lot of places if you haven't seen it yet. I totally recommend rewatching Deadwood, uh, if anything, just to get into a good old Western. Uh, my non-recommend is The Package on Netflix. Holy shit. We got to... You know what? After, like, Game Over, man, and after this, we got to stop giving the workaholic guys movies, man. We just can't do it anymore. Yeah, I, I love the show, but I'll agree. They're, a lot of their movie efforts have been, yeah, very subpar. They, they found their stride with the show, and the show is is pretty good. The movies are just have been atrocious, and the package does not disappoint with atrociousness. It's it's pretty unfunny. Really? The second... Uh, I, I'm just going to say it, because if you haven't heard about it by now, you will eventually. Uh, it's about these kids who go on a camping trip, and uh, one of their friends gets like cuts his dick off. And it's just... It's a snort. Now, are the Workaholics guys in it? Because it looks like a younger cast. Are they in it at all? Did they just write it? It is a younger cast. They just wrote it, I think. Okay. I have liked those guys in supporting roles in other movies. Um, but yeah, the three of them together... Yeah, Game Over Man, I was <laughs> really unhappy with. Uh, it was awful. I hated Game Over Man. But anyway, uh, I'd avoid it. If you're... I don't know. If you're like super high and you don't give a shit or you're really drunk, maybe you can give it a watch. But if you're looking for a funny movie, look somewhere else. Out of what I watched this week, I, can, I can't I can say I actually watched anything that I wouldn't recommend. So I'm just going to have two, re- two recommends, man. Two positive things right now. Uh, so I watched two movies this week. I didn't get a chance to go see Bad Times at the El Royale, which I really wanted to in theaters. However, didn't get a chance to see it. Heard it bombed, but I still want to see it. The one I will recommend is Bo Burnham's Eighth Grade. I finally got a chance to oh. see this one. It was uh, playing in limited release, so I never got a chance to see it in theaters. Finally hit Blu-ray and digital. And uh, yeah, I had heard great things about this. I know I'm not the target demographic, but... This movie really captures what it means to be young right now. And while that may not appeal to everyone, just the thought of watching that doesn't necessarily appeal to me. Uh, the lead character is just so even relatable in a way that's not like I, I didn't I didn't I don't see myself in her at all, really. And I wasn't like her in high school or anything. But some of the things that happen in her life or interactions with people, there's at least moments in this movie that no matter what walk of life you're from, you know, are, are sort of relatable. Even if you're really old and all of this shit means nothing to you, the Instagram and all the shit that they're doing on in the movie, it's like. You could still relate. It's just a really small kind of character piece about like what it means to be young right now and how fucking terrible this one year of your life is. And it really like I started thinking back like eighth grade probably was one of the worst. It's just that strange point in time where you're right about to hit high school. You haven't figured yourself out yet. You're going through puberty. So everything sucks. And like every you hate everyone, but you want everyone to like you at the same time. It's just I really, really enjoyed it. It's not one that I think. You know, it was going to be an awards contender, sadly. I hope it maybe gets, like, a, an original screenplay or something like that. That could be cool nomination. But Bo Burnham, who I think is our age or my age, 27 maybe. Maybe he's a little older. The fact that he fucking wrote and directed this movie, and it's so well done, man. It, you know, it's jealous rage it puts me in. But <laughs> kudos to him, man. He's a funny guy, and I think this movie is uh, something to be seen. I don't know what you're talking about. I hit my stride in eighth grade. Anyway, uh, so... <laughs> Sorry, and my last other recommend is a movie called Dead Man's Shoes. Uh, I don't know if it's on Netflix or whatever, but I found the DVD of it. It's, it's a movie, I think, from a couple years ago, but it's basically a very straightforward revenge flick car starring Patty Considine from uh, The World's End. He's in a, a lot of uh, Edgar Wright movies. 
dude, this is a fucking, just, it's brutal. Like, I loved it a lot. The performance from uh, Patty Considine, he's just a fucking badass. And it's just so well played. It's, uh, he underplays everything. Nothing's just crazy or over the top. The villains in the movie are really disturbing and weird. It's basically about a, a guy who comes back from the war. Uh, his mentally disabled brother was tortured or essentially or beaten by these guys in this town. So it's basically him going back to, like, take revenge on the people who fucked with his brother. And it's super affecting. And uh, you should definitely check it out. So why don't you tell everybody uh, what what we're doing next week? Well, uh, we're actually going to be doing two uh, horror films over the next two weeks, despite our episodes usually dropping on Thursday, which would be November 1st, our final episode of what would have been the Spooktober. We're going to move it up a bit, just one day, so that it's on Halloween. We'll get into what that movie is next week, but this week we'll tell you what our next week's movie is, as convoluted and complicated as that sounded. Dude, yeah, way to overcomplicate to it. 2004, 2004 for a movie that... I remember for a good 10 years, uh, anytime I watched a movie with a twist, no twist could compare because it was not Saw. I remember loving Saw, but I've I've read a couple of reviews recently that don't like Saw. Well, Saw was not universally beloved when it first came out. I think it's probably got like a 50% or something like that on Rotten Tomatoes. So I know critics didn't love it when it first came out. It was a huge hit box office-wise. Obviously spawned six, wait, seven sequels, to, or six sequels and a reboot, however you want to classify that fucking terrible Jigsaw movie. So that's it for us pretty much here. Don't forget to like our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, what's our Twitter handle again? I uh, It's Nostalgia Damned, right? That's right, Nostalgia Damned. Uh, at Nostalgia Damned. Uh, and if, by the way, if you own the Nostalgia Be Damned Twitter handle, give us a, a, a quick shout out because we'd like to take it. <laughs> well, you. see, I think it was just that it was too many characters. You know what I mean? Nostalgia. I think the B and the E were what did it. <laughs> But Twitter has Twitter lets you write fucking paragraphs now. God damn it, Twitter. I know, I dude. Twitter. Yeah, tell me about Anyway, it. Uh, don't forget to share our episode. Like every, every social media page. Tell your friends about it, please, for the love of God. And also, please, for the love of God as well, write us a review. Let people know what you think. From all of us here, we're tired of living like a blind man, sick of sight without a sense of feeling. And uh, this is how you remind me, Zach. All right, I'm not. Uh, stop, 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 stop. I love you. Uh, Bye. Fuck you. Well, well, well. What have we here? Santa Claus, huh?